0: On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I
1: stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan.
0: Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Ready PG 13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
1: Folks, with great trick arrows comes great responsibility. You have to be very careful with them. They can explode. They do things that you don't know. There's, like, putty. There might even be spoilers inside there. Speaking of which... There's going to be spoilers in this podcast. There's going to be a lot of theorizing between myself and Rosie Knight, and we're going to be talking about Hawkeye, episode four, the excellent uh, fourth episode titled Partners, Am I Right? We're also going to be talking about every Spider-Man movie that has come out, and a bunch of stuff from the Spider-Man comics that may or may not inform Spider-Man No Way Home, which comes out December 17th, so... If you're concerned about spoilers, if you haven't seen Toby Require Spider-Man 3, directed by Sam Raimi, listen, go watch that stuff before uh, you listen to this. Wouldn't want you to get spoiled. My name is Jason Concepcion. Welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, pop culture, and more. Joining me today, it could be no one else, a walking comics encyclopedia, the great writer and podcaster, Rosie Knight. Rosie, how are you? Oh, I'm so happy to be here. How are you? I'm doing well. I've just mainlined a a dangerous amount of Spider-Man movie (laughs) content. Uh, and I'm feeling the proportionate strength of a spider coursing through my veins right now. Uh, Maguire, Garfield, or Holland? Spider-Man.
2: I am a Holland diehard. I think that casting is brilliant. I think he's age-appropriate. I think he's quippy. I have a lot of love for the other two, as we will get into. I have also been watching many Spider-Man movies. So (laughs) yeah, it's... uh, But but Holland, I think there's something about him. He gets the Peter and the Spider-Man, and they're both perfect.
1: In today's episode, we're going to start with a uh, recap and discussion of uh, episode four of Hawkeye Partners, am I right? And then we're going to dive into a discussion about all the Spider-Man movies and what we think could be in store for us as we prepare for No Way Home. Uh, And then last segment, the endgame. Here we go. Let's talk about Hawkeye. Okay. Episode four of Hawkeye, Partners at My Right, directed by Burton Bertie, written by Heather Quinn and Aaron Cancino. So we open where we left off in episode three, Eleanor Bishop's Penthouse, Jack Duquesne holding the Ronin sword to Clint's throat. Stay exactly where you are. Eleanor steps out and is like, why is there an adventure?" Uh, In my living room, and later they talk it out. Kate fills Jack and Eleanor in on everything they're working on a case. This is one of the funniest and funnest scenes. Not even just like in Disney, Marvel, television, but I think in the whole MCU, it's Kate being like, "Yo, we're working on a case. We're actually very close friends. We're partners." And Clint's like, "Ah, "I don't know about working. I don't friends. I I don't know. We I barely like hang out with her." And then finally, Eleanor's like. Okay, but, like, you are working together, right? And he's like, yes. Uh, Eleanor notes that her uh, bishop security idea was used to uh, log into the company computer system, and Kate was like, yeah, that was me. Listen, I needed, uh, needed info for the case that we're working on. <laughs> uh, Eleanor offers to show Clint out. On the way out, he notices that the sword that was at his neck is actually his sword with the blood of hundreds of, of human beings on it, and uh, he manages to steal it in the elevator as They're waiting for the elevator, rather. Uh, Eleanor's like, Listen, this is dangerous work, and I'm just concerned that you know, like, you're gonna get my daughter killed. And Clint's like, Don't worry, that won't happen, I'll protect her, etc. 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 He uh rides down in the elevator and texts uh Laura back home at the farm, who is increasingly gonna be some sort of mockingbird like ex yeah, shield figure, exactly. Right? He's 100%. like, Hey. Run a check on Sloan Limited. Meanwhile, Eleanor, in a teaser that I think is easy to overlook, makes a call to parties unknown about some other urgent matter. Yeah. It, who's that going to be?
2: Could seem, I think it seems like it could maybe be um, Kate's dad. We never okay. saw his body in the- uh, You know the rules. You <laughs> yeah, know the rules. Yeah, so also, so in the Kelly Thompson comics, the Hawkeye stuff, it's revealed that, Eleanor, who they thought was dead, has actually right. been a puppet master of kind of Kate's yeah. figurehead villain, uh, Madame Mask. So I wonder if they're going to do some kind of inversion. He doesn't necessarily. Or, of course, could be the guy we've been waiting for, that everything is hinting for, who we kind of got a glimpse of last episode, Kingpin.
1: It could also be, I was thinking, because of uh, Yelena showing up, maybe it's, uh, you know, the Contessa Valentina, Allegra yeah. de Fontaine. Always full name. I will say, like, Vera Farmiga it's again one of these she's a little too big of a name and good of an actress to be just Eleanor Bishop Mm -hmm. the mom of so like her being if she's Madame Mask that's incredible okay continuing Clint calls Laura as he's out on the street Laura is hanging with the kids so she has to talk in code here and the gist is this Sloan Limited is a front for the tracksuit mafia. They're doing money laundering uh, work for the person who we assume to be the kingpin and uh, CEO of Sloan Limited, Jack Duquesne.
2: Uh Laura, who
1: who again is a spy, asks in German whether anything else is missing from the Avengers compound, uh, like, say, a watch. And Clint is like, you know, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that was destroyed. And Laura's like, "Uh, you mean like your suit? And Clint is like, oh, good, uh, good point. Let's check the transponder that is inside the watch. Great idea to put a transponder in the watch for storytelling purposes also. And then he promises (laughs) to be home soon.
2: I'm very interested by Jack and Clint not knowing each other. Cause obviously in the comics, yes. Jack Kane is uh, Clint's mentor from the circus. I didn't think they were going to do a circus thing. I, would but have I thought loved that was really... if they did the
1: circus. Sur- I Me love too. the
2: circus. I feel like they've been playing with it. So, like in the last episode before that amazing car chase, Clint's like jumping on a trampoline yeah. and they're in like a carnival setting. I wonder if maybe they'll do something where at some point, Clint and Jack will fight and they'll realize that he fought him as the Ronin or something. So there's some kind of back connection there. Right.
1: And there, there, I guess there's also a world in which Clint left the circus at such a young age that maybe they don't realize, but we'll exactly. say it seemed pretty definitive yeah. that the circus is out and uh, Jack Duquesne as Clint's mentor, yeah. the mentor-protege relationship is potentially out the
2: door. I do have to shout out Tony Dalton though, who's playing Jack, because like part Fantastic. of the reason that Scene is so brilliant. Is like Haley and Jeremy are killing it, but like Tony Dalton is like so perfectly smarmy and funny and condescending, but also like annoyingly likable. So I just, I just, I I really love that so much.
1: What do we think about the watch? So I think it's, I think think it's it's Laura's. I think it's Laura's watch. Laura's watch. Yeah, Jinx, hundred percent. And somehow it, I guess, like holds the secrets of her past
2: as a shield agent slash something. I think there's like two things. She is either Mockingbird, right. like the actual Mockingbird, but Kevin Feige has had fun kind of erasing a lot of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise really me if Bobby was it, out. Yeah. You know, Darkhold, he did that with. But the other option is Mockingbird was a code name when right. she was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Or, and the watch, I think specifically, it could be this would be a very MCU version, would be like the watch says on the back, like, To my Mockingbird, love Clint, and that was just like a a a code name that Mm. he uh, his his pet name. But there's some reason that it ties back to Laura because later on he says to Kate, you know, this belongs to someone who is close to me, right? And it will blow their cover. It's very important to me that we get it back because otherwise, like goodbye, friend. You know, so that to me says it's Laura.
1: I 100% agree. I wonder if it's tied to some sort of secret war-esque mission that nobody knows about that, mm-hmm. you know, secret war, not secret wars and not anyway. Yeah. Moving on. Uh Eleanor and Jack this is a really kind of like underrated. We won't talk about this scene that much, I think, in a, you know, as in kind of like the social media slash blogosphere narrative. But I love this scene where Eleanor and Jack are discussing like what to do about Kate while Kate lounges with Lucky the pizza dog. <laughs> and, you know, Eleanor's like, man, Kate, give Jack a break. Just go easy on him. And then you get this little scene where you realize that Eleanor is in love with Jack. Like she mm-hmm. loves this guy and it's clear that listen, it's been a long time since her husband died. You know, the swordsman, the metaphor, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. you don't need to look too uh, too deeply into it to what yeah. that could mean for Jack's prowess as a charmer. Remember how he was introduced with the rose? Yeah. And Kate begins to warm to Jack because mm-hmm. she realizes, man, my mom really loves this guy. There uh. is a little bit of a tough scene where they make fun. Make fun of Jack for not speaking English too good, but still it was it was very charming. And Jack refers to them as a family, and you and you see mm-hmm. that Kate begins to feel that. Back at Moira's, Clint is packing his bruises in frozen foods. He reclines for a long winter's nap. Immediately, that is cut short by Kate's arrival with Lucky and more pizza. Kate also brought movies for Barton movie Marathon Night. Clint is very touched by this. And he says, hey, guess what? Great instincts on your mother's boyfriend. He is the CEO of (laughs) Sloan Limited and is working for organized crime. And Kate is like,
2: fuck, I was beginning to like this guy. Dude, that dueling thing that you just brought up, that's such a great example of why this show is so brilliant because they have this really warm moment that seems like it's throwaway. Yeah, That's this brilliant, slow character moment where you think, oh, this is actually really nice. And then immediately it's that gut punch. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. He probably works for the kingpin. And he basically runs this group that I've derailed my entire life to join you in taking down. Like, oh, it's so good. And the the Christmas decorating thing is like a nice little nod. Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. Hawkeye issue six from the yes. Fraction and Ahar series is like a Christmas issue, and it opens with Tony and Clint decorating a tree. So I just feel like they're getting all these fun tone nods in there. I so love that Kate yeah. is
1: Kate is wearing the shirt that she wears yeah. in certain issues of Hawkeye. Like, so it's a lot of really really fun nods. Kate is like, yeah. okay, we've got an impossible mission ahead of us. Mm-hmm. We got to take down the tracksuits, have a heartwarming holiday celebration, <laughs> take down my mom's boyfriend and also get the police off my trail. Uh, So it's going to be a tough one. Kate, later on, as they're kind of like decompressing after some flipping coins uh,
2: lessons. Yeah, very cool. Ultimate Hawkeye. Ultimate Hawkeye. This is a reference to
1: Ultimate Hawkeye. So Ultimate Hawkeye, we've mentioned this before, but Ultimate Hawkeye, you know, is not just a marksman with arrows. He can flip coins. He can do all manner of things. And one of his oh shit feats from, uh, you know, the ultimate universe is killing guys with his fingernails. He, he, yes, he, he. I was going to say so, it's so gross. So this <laughs> I wonder if we're going to get some kind of not as gross version where clearly we're going to get a moment where like Hawkeye solves stuff by flipping coins, flipping stuff at bad guys. going to be fun.
2: Yeah, it's really cool.
1: So Kate asks, Clint, what was your most memorable shot? And he says, it's the shot I didn't take. It was going against orders to not execute Natasha Romanoff when I realized that she was looking to escape her situation. And it's also clear that, yes, it's a platonic, deep friendship relationship. There is, like, whatever it is, it verges on love is some Mm -hmm. kind of very unique, heartfelt, very deeply emotional uh, relationship. Clint is still very, very, very sad about it. and He uses this as an opportunity to impress upon Kate, like, this life that you are so excited about, it's very costly. So you need to realize Mm -hmm. that. In that moment, Kate realizes that Clint is Ronan. She asks him directly about it. He says, I was just doing what I was trained. Hurt people. She's like, no, like help people. No, he's like, hurt people. I'm a weapon. I was pointed at targets. The right targets. The right targets by people. And Kate says- Like, you can move past that. This is your opportunity to wash away the past. And Clint says, no, it's tied to me. It's tied to my family, and I have to fix it. Uh, That night, as he reclines in his chair, he relives these moments from his past, the blip his days as Ronan, Natasha, and Vormir uh, dying. The next morning, Clint says, "Kate, okay, here's your job. You got to go meet with the LARPing community, NYPD <laughs> LARP, and you have to retrieve my arrows, which, uh, using my tracking device, I realize are stored at a NYPD facility." She goes and meets with them, uh, sets that up there. The Larpers are mostly NYPD. Uh, New York yeah. Fire Department members,
2: also like very interesting. So a lot of them are named after members of the Death Throws, who are yes. like a Marvel villain community. Right. So you have Hawkeye's Orville, who is Oddball, yeah. you have a, uh, you know the the police officer who she mentions her name Bombshell she because she has it uh, on her you know, bag. It's, it's which on is her very bag, cute. which is. So it's very interesting how they're kind of bringing these names in, but they're recontextualizing them the same way that Grills, you know, his yeah. friend from the the Larping thing, that was his neighbor and those. So it's a it's a different way of kind of bringing in these comic book characters. Do I think that they're going to become villains? No, they're their allies. Right. But it, it's it's interesting to I think I'm very interested in the way they're doing it. The same way that Greer was on the phone in the yeah. first one, you know, which is the same name as as another famous Hawkeye ally. So. Yeah, it's it's. I think the Lapa stuff is really fun on kind of all different levels. Here's my theory. Okay, I want to know.
1: It's going to be the version of Melvin Potter from both the Netflix Daredevil series mm. and Daredevil comics, where these are the people that make costumes. So Melvin Potter in Daredevil was yep. a former supervillain who opened up a tailoring shop and then just you know uh, made a lot of suits for Daredevil, but also suits for bad guys, including Bullseye and various other people. Is often used as like a character who is forced into doing bad stuff because of the Kingpin and other people I think that this is going to be who the, the LARPers are
2: I definitely think so. They
1: make suits for Maya. They'll make suits for the street level characters. They mm-hmm. make suits for people.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great, great call. And also in the still on Disney Plus for this one, Clint is actually wearing a purple Hawkeye costume we haven't seen him in yet. So I think that kind of confirms your... And they they make that agreement here too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: So uh, while Kate is doing that, Clint ambushes Kazi, is like, listen, you're a henchman, but... You need to talk to Maya and talk her out of the Ronin hunt. It's in it's in everyone's best interests. You know that whoever your boss is, <laughs> the kingpin,
0: doesn't <laughs> want this
1: kind of heat and attention. You guys are banging it out on the streets of New York, like on major bridges throughout New York City. Like this is <laughs> bad. blown up. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad for business. You need to stop this. Uh, later on, Clint and Kate go to the Larpers' uh, a wonderful apartment. I guess they all live together, as uh, Rosie mentioned. These are uh, various characters from uh, Hawkeye's kind of rogues gallery and this kind of low-level Marvel uh, rogues gallery of the 80s. Uh, Kate and Clint agree to help the LARPers obtain materials to make costumes in exchange for getting the arrows back. But we already got the arrows back, Bombshell says. Okay, great. In the middle of this, Laura texts Clint with the address where the signal from the Rolex watch is emanating from 3715 Godfrey Road at the address... You know, they're surveilling it, Clint, with his typical, like, you know, boiled hard leather gumshoe. I'm an old hand at this kind of counterintelligence. I'm I'm surveilling it. Yeah, here's (laughs) actually why it's good that the rooftop is lower than the place we're going. Mm -hmm. He's about to explain this, but like Kate's already like Shut up old man I'm going in. <laughs> she she charms That's why we
0: love her. That's why
1: we love her. She charms her way into the building by helping a gentleman with his groceries. Here's another wonderful small character moment where she's like uh she's talking to Clint through the earpiece and the gentleman in the elevator with her is like uh, oh sorry what? And she's like oh no sorry I wasn't talking to you. Oh can I tell you a secret? I'm talking to an Avenger. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the guy's like, okay, but uh, okay. I'm, like, I'm going to just go now. Yeah. And you're just like, it's just so cute. Haley is the best. She's wonderful. I love Kate.
1: <laughs> So she picks her way into the apartment and notices that there's these, like, strobe lights flashing, doesn't know what they Mm -hmm. are, but finds the watch and also finds, you know, very handily, Maya, not great at super spy stuff, just like her notes about surveilling the uh, Clint Barton family are just, like, out. (laughs) (laughs) Just just chilling, Just chilling, just just out. Uh, Clint realizes, uh uh-oh, this is Maya's apartment uh, because that's an alarm for someone who uh, does not have hearing. And in that moment, Maya attacks Kate just as Clint is being attacked by a mask figure who we will soon learn is Yelena, Natasha's sister, a trained black widow assassin. Big fight, really fun fight ensues on the mm-hmm. rooftop across the way. Kate holding her own in this. And it's clear through what's going on that Yelena and Maya are not working together. This is some no. sort of collision of interests. Uh, to be explained. Uh, probably in the next episode. Kate tries to keep Kate away from danger by sending her Jackie Chan falling through Christmas lights to the street. Kate is like, no, 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 no old man, uh-uh. you can't get rid of me that easily. She gets back upstairs, uses a flashbang arrow to stun everyone. Kate shoots Maya in the shoulder with an arrow. Clint pulls off Yelena's mask and Kate is about to shoot her with an arrow, but Yelena just uses her Black Widow power of intimidating stare and is like, don't Mm -hmm. do it. And Kate hesitates. Yelena escapes. Uh, Clint is seriously freaked out by this encounter. Black Widow assassin's involved in this. This is too real. This is too dangerous for you. We're done, okay? Our partnership is done. Go home. End credits. What a fantastic episode
2: shockingly good i mean bertie and bertie this like dueling thing of the wildly action-packed car chase from three that was lifted directly from the comics and then to this really character focused kind of adventure slow burn episode with this massive fight is just so good this show is so good
1: and it's Three and four are perfectly transposed, like comic book pacing Mm -hmm. episodes of television. You've got the big end fight at the end that doesn't actually resolve anything, but is is immensely satisfying. You've got cliffhanger to make you pick up next week. You've got all these hints at a broader mystery and a bigger Mm -hmm. conspiracy that who knows when those are going to pay off. It's it's great and wonderful character work where it's just like the chemistry between Haley and Renner and between their (sighs) characters, the contrast of like, you know, the grizzled veteran who's too old for this shit and, you know, wants to wash away the sins of the past, but knows that he can't. And the idealistic young adventurer who's Mm -hmm. just like, this is great. I
2: love superheroing.
1: Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> You're a superhero. Clint, isn't that cool? It's yeah, so it's,
2: good. It's so good. And like, it sounds like it should be like overdone or derivative, but the, the way that they write it and the the joy that Haley brings to it. And and this is definitely Jeremy's like best performance as Hawkeye for me. Yes. So like, and I love that thing you mentioned about it being very comic booky, because I think one of the things that is really cool like that moment with Yelena, where she looks yeah. at Kate, they did this full on face. And obviously Florence Pugh, like the most expressive, good, great actor of our times at the moment. So it's like, that was like a panel. Yeah, it it was, was like a, a full page panel of just her looking at her and it's the like the no. And there's this moment of connection there that you know is going to come back to be important. Absolutely. Kate wasn't like scared. She was like confused and like interested. Yes. And Kate is a, a very big queer fan favorite comic book character. And all the characters that she has been romantically kind of entangled with have been aged down in the movies and in the MCU, like America Chavez, Patriot, stuff like that. So when her and Yelena had that moment, I was like, oh, is this going to be the gay thing? I was like, this is a new ship. I was like, people are going to love this and I want to see more. (laughs)
1: Uh, I can't wait to see more. I can't wait for episode five, which from all the kind of like ear to the ground kind of hints and clues seems like it's the the quote-unquote big episode. Like, this is the groundbreaking episode. So, very excited for that. Up next, the airlock where we talk about Spider-Man.
0: On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere.
1: stepping out of the airlock right now and into the multiverse into the spider verse onto spider island onto the various spider properties of the last 20 years uh of course Spider-Man No Way Home coming out December 17th promises to be a, a multiversal fun featuring characters from the various Spider-Man movies and we thought what better uh, opportunity could we have to talk about those Spider-Man movies and how they might intersect with the MCU uh, in a week and a half or whatever it is. What, it's like a, so close now. <laughs> week, in, one, in less than a week basically. Wow. So let's talk about it. First up it's Maguire time. Spider-Man. Toby Maguire. Maguire Man, Maguire Man, does whatever a Toby can. It's uh, <laughs> the Spider-Man original trilogy directed by Sam Raimi. Uh, Toby Maguire is Spider-Man. Kirsten Dunst is Mary Jane Watson. James Franco is Harry Osborn. Uh, J.K. Simons is J. Jonah Jameson, etc. We got old Uncle Ben with Cliff Robertson. Villains, very important. William Defoe, Green Goblin gonna be in No Way Home. We know that. Alfred yep. Molina, Doc Ock, gonna be in No Way Home. We know that. Thomas Hayden Church as as Sandman, gonna be in No Way Home. We know that. And uh, Topher Grace, Eddie Brock, probably not gonna be in No Way Home. Yeah! <coughs>
2: There might might be a secondary, a a one second Topher cameo. You never know. But yeah, he's not confirmed. We don't have a a Topher Grace featurette like we do about the other villains that we know are coming. So let's go, uh, we'll go in order here.
1: Spider Man uh, 2002, it was a great comic book movie. Of its era, obviously uh-huh. a huge hit. Saw it at the theater, loved it at the time. Of course, Peter Parker. We get the we get the origin story. Peter Parker bitten by a genetically engineered super spider at a you know a college tour of Columbia's top biological genetic engineering lab. He develops uh, powers. His uncle Ben is murdered. He falls in love with the girl next door Mary Jane Watson, uh, and then. While this is happening, Norman Osborn facing, you know, a a civil war on the Oscorp board and uh, various challenges to his authority decides, you know what, I'm going to test experimental uh, chemicals on myself.
2: Always a good idea.
1: Always a great idea and steal the uh, super military suit and glide board that we were developing for the military. And I'm going to become the supervillain, the Green Goblin. Peter and the Green Goblin fight it out. And uh, the Green Goblin is killed. So here's a question that's going to come up again and again as we look at these movies. Where do you think, one, well, for, let me start here. First of all, is the Green Goblin that we're going to see in No Way Home the actual Green Goblin from Spider-Man in the movie? Or is it like a variant? And where in the movie do we take the Green Goblin from? Because obviously it's going to be after he injects himself with the chemicals and steals the, the suit— but before he is killed at the the end of the movie?
2: I think it's the biggest question because something that these, just, it's, it's important to mention, even though we're skipping ahead a little bit, Electro has a Stark tech, right, right. In, the, in the trailers. So we know, are these the same versions? Is there when he who remains died, did some kind of divergent <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. thing happen? Like, right, exactly. I'm not sure, but I'm really happy that, at least for part of the movie, he's going to have that Power Rangers-looking suit, because I fucking love that <laughs> suit. I love that Green Goblin suit with the big butt and yes. the crazy mask. So I think if he's getting picked out, I think they're probably going to be around the time when he does the big attack and he flies in. And and I think you sort of just go, boop. Yeah. Like I was watching the 90s Spider-Man cartoon and in season five, they do a Secret Wars story. And it basically has the Beyonder or a version of the Beyonder <laughs> picking all these villains yeah. out of like different universes. And I was watching it and I was like, oh my God, this is basically what's happening. Like, I think you just pop them out at their most powerful moment. So it's when Osborne comes in, he destroys the parade and you're just like, okay, that's boop. He's going through.
1: Rosie, you just hinted at something that is my tinfoil theory. So what do we expect after seeing uh, the Let There Be Carnage? That that all these villains are just like randomly transferred uh-huh. to this? Is there someone behind it? Is there someone that's selecting these villains slash characters and various characters to collide with the universe that we know? And is that person the beyonder? Are we going to yeah. see, is it going to be like Secret Wars that we're building through some version mm-hmm. of Secret Wars? And there's actually a consciousness behind why these particular characters are going to this particular place.
2: Yeah. And also, look, I know, I know, I'm not trying to bring it back to Eternals, all right? I know everyone <laughs> would, rather, most people would rather forget bring that I not. Bring it back to Eternals, Rosie, bring I'm, it back. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, We Eternals did just come out and whatever else you feel about it, the end of it is a giant cosmic celestial saying that Earth is about to be judged and needs to prove that it's good enough to survive. And then suddenly all these heroes are turning up from different multiversal spaces. I think that could really align with your idea of like there being someone behind this and there's a greater reason why all these villains. Also, we know what the MCU is like. There is no way that the trailers that we have seen are the whole movie. That is part of the movie that we are seeing. So what is that big reveal? What is that big reveal? Not only
1: that, but like, you know, there's going to be a lot of red herrings and scenes Mm -hmm. that don't actually exist in the actual movie. Like, so there's going to be a lot of stuff to throw us off.
2: Speaking of Green Goblin, I truly am. My tinfoil hat theory is that that new suit, even though there's now a few official pictures where it looks like it's Willem Dafoe's face, like stuck on that new suit... I don't actually think that's him. I think there's going to be another goblin. Uh, okay, we'll get to that.
1: I have a theory about that. Let's let's get okay, to Spider-Man okay. 2. Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2. Peter Parker is having a bad uh, few months last <laughs> year. He's been fired. He's failing school. He has no money. He has a crappy apartment. He sucks. He sucks. Meanwhile... Uh, Otto Octavius is developing a fusion reactor, um, which uh, the test we goes wrong. Him. Listen, all these tests go wrong. Every, every They never learn. They never work. And they never learn. They're always playing God. Uh, they're always stealing the fire of the gods, and look what is happening. Otto mm-hmm. is fused with his AI robotic tentacles, which then become kind of conscious, and he becomes Doc Ock. Uh, Peter, uh, meanwhile, uh, loses faith in himself and his powers, and he's like, I don't want to be fucking spider anymore. But guess what mm-hmm. happens? Shocker. MJ has been kidnapped. What? Again? Oh, yes. I that's can't believe right. it. Can you believe it, Rosie? MJ Shocking. MJ has been kidnapped by a supervillain, Dr. Octopus, which leads to really an iconic fight atop a mm-hmm. subway, which is... Comic book movies kind of like oblique nod towards 9-11. Harry learns Peter's identity and discovers his dad's uh, secret goblin lair. And then at the end, Doc Ock sacrifices himself to save the city, comes back to to the side of the light. MJ learns uh, Peter's secret and leaves her fiancé at the altar to get that Peter Parker lovin'. Uh, yeah,
2: and you get that incredible end sequence where she's in the the dress, the bride's dress, and Peter, like, swings away, and you're like, MJ, this should really tell you about the rest of your life. Yeah, she's swinging yeah. away from you in the wedding dress. This is just going to keep happening to you.
1: This is going to keep happening. Question uh, after Spider-Man 2. Where do we think Doc Ock, one, is this Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2? And two, where in the movie do we think Doc Ock is plucked from?
2: I think this... Out of all of them, for I mean, one, how happy are you Alfred Molina's back? I love this it. This is I like an all time, all time iconic superhero villain. Like, I think this one seems the most. We've seen the most of him character wise, yeah. and the kind of logical behavior, the way he's very honest when he's with Steven in the in the space, and Steven has him trapped, but he's not annoyed, he's just intrigued. He scientifically wants to understand. That to me, I think he is from that. I think he's Spider Man to or. Octavius. And I think he could really come from anywhere in that movie because he doesn't really meet those same fates. Yeah. It's, it's more of like a tragic arc for his character than a, than a definitive kind of end. I think, again, it's probably quite early on from Spider-Man 2 because he is looking for Peter. Yeah. This is not Doc who's been beaten by right. Peter. This is Doc Ock who is looking for Peter, wants to find him, and suddenly the Peter he finds is not the one that he knows. Question.
1: Do we get a kind of anti-hero Doc Ock, superior Spider-Man kind of Doc Ock, who actually deep in his heart is kind of like inspired by and looks up to Peter in a weird way because of his pure heroism? Do we get that version of Doc Ock who comes to really respect and, you know, appreciate Peter Parker as a hero?
2: I think that we are gonna... I think he's gonna be an anti-hero. and I think it won't start from that place. I think it will start from a place of scientific intrigue. Mm. He wants to know about the multiverse and these guys actually want to solve that. They don't want to fight the villains. And then I think what will happen is we seem like there's some kind of conflict with Peter and Stephen Strange because Stephen wants to send people back to their fates and Peter wants to save them. Right. And I think Otto will be very moved by that. And he will... That will... You will see some kind of team up potential kind of like alliance will be built there that will become quite strong I think and also look Alfred Molina that's a good looking guy we know that in the comics one of the most OTP like funny comic book pairings is him and Aunt May you never know what's gonna happen I could I could see it I could I could see that happening in this universe even just like a funny moment so I think this is not going to be a pure villainous Doc Ock. There's going to be stuff to explore there.
1: So just to just to catch people up, maybe uh, for our non-comic book readers about Superior yes. Spider-Man. Superior Spider-Man uh, was a, a, a comic arc uh, and rebrand for the Spider-Man title in which uh, Peter Parker, as he is dying, uh, switches bodies, basically, without Octavius. Doc Ock's mind goes into Peter Parker's body and... He becomes the superior Spider-Man, right? The more tactical, smarter, mm-hmm. uh, slightly harder edge Spider-Man. But through this process of living in Peter's body, he comes to appreciate on a deeper level the person that Peter Parker is. And I'm with you. I think we get something of that anti-hero ness yeah. with Doc Ock in this movie. On to Spider-Man Three, <laughs> the, 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 the iconic. The iconic
2: dance, doing a dance, the ultimate, the ultimate boogie down. Peter Parker, Spider-Man three. Also, maybe a slight warning for No Way Home because wasn't the biggest problem with this movie that there's too many villains? Yes,
1: (laughs) that is why i think that these are not going to be variants i think they are mm-hmm. going to be the movie version because it's yeah. at, at that point it becomes too much yeah anyway Man 3 peter is he's not sad anymore he's actually happy he's got everything he wants he's got the girl the city loves him etc uh meanwhile harry osborne following right in dad's footsteps is going to become uh the new goblin uh, he fights Peter, uh, is injured, gets partial amnesia. Meanwhile, Flint Marco, an escaped convict with a sick daughter, is revealed to be Ben Parker's killer.
0: And, shocking and
1: And uh, later becomes the Sandman after yet another freak accident. I mean, that one was really his own
2: fault. He just walks straight into like a weird testing you know, zone when he's that? running away from the police. Yeah, it on. Yeah, it is. It, 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 it it's, it, it, it's a very strange choice to make him... Ben's killer as well, because all of Spider-Man's entire backstory in these movies is based on the fact he didn't stop the guy. And in this version, he could never have stopped the guy. So sure, it's Flint Marco. His daughter's sick. Let him be. Uh,
1: Lions and tigers and villains, oh my, an uh, extraterrestrial symbiote Lands in Central Park because, oh, of course, coincidence. Uh, attaches itself to Peter and becomes, you know, reads his mind, bonds with his consciousness and it becomes a much more powerful black suit for Peter. Uh, Peter is uh, gradually seduced and corrupted <laughs> by this suit. He becomes an asshole. He dances in the street. He tries to kill Harry with a pumpkin bomb. He ruins that the career nice. of photographer Eddie Brock. Uh, yada, yeah. yada, yada, yada. After Peter accidentally accidentally hits MJ, he separates from the symbiote, which then bonds with Eddie Brock, and we have Venom. Uh, Venom and Sandman team up to, guess what? Shocking. Twist. MJ. Hey, kidnap MJ. <laughs> kidnap MJ! Again! And so Peter and Harry uh, mm. join forces to stop them. Brock chooses to die uh, with the symbiote rather than live without it. He needs it so much. Marco, meanwhile, apologized to Peter for killing Uncle Ben. So uh, Peter forgives him and is like, go on your way. Harry is killed, uh, saving Peter. And the trilogy ends on a cautiously optimistic note with Peter and MJ dancing. And there you have it. Once again. There's
2: lots of dancing in this movie. That's like the third, at least the third oh fourth dance sequence. Because one of my favorite moments from this movie uh, is there's the the love triangle between Harry and and Peter and and Mary Jane is is still going on here. And one of my favorite parts is the Mary Jane, uh, Harry Osborne omelet making scene where they're like dancing (laughs) and they're making an omelet. And then later on, like Harry's like telling Peter that him and MJ are together and Peter leaves the coffee shop and Harry looks at him and he gives him like a big wink. He's like, so I'm just like, so much is going on in this movie. And a lot of it revolves around dancing.
1: A lot of dancing. So How do we get these characters uh, from this movie into No Way Home? When do we think it happens? Do we see Harry Osborn at all? Is there like going to be a hobgoblin, some hobgoblin action? And how much of this
2: is going to make it in?
1: And do we see Brock?
2: I think that with the Tom Hardy Venom edition, which I think is more likely to actually just be like another post-credit scene or something. I don't know if Kevin Feige, I just saw Venom again. Uh, the third time <laughs> i've seen it in the cinema venom let that be carnage because i have many friends with a, a a love for venom and um i don't believe that kevin feige is gonna truly let tom hardy be in the mcu in that character so i i but i do think that now that venom and the symbiote is a thing and it's in the mcu i think there's a chance that we could see tofa i think there's a chance we could see I Eddie brock it. even just momentarily um Okay, so let's talk about Hobgoblin. Because I do, I do think Hobgoblin is going to be in this movie. I think, Hobg- I think, I think
1: Hobgoblin is going to be in this movie too. Why? Because if the Doc Ock anti-hero thing is true, we're actually down a six.
2: Thank you. So we need another. Right. So do I think it's going to be James Franco? No. Right. You can Google why that's probably not going to happen. Dean DeHaan. Dean Uh, DeHaan. Dean DeHaan. It it could be. People don't love that version. But I'm going to tell you my version. This is my Tim Foil hat okay? And I don't care if Disney released some CGI picture of Willem Dafoe's face (laughs) on the Hobgoblin. I don't believe it. Of course you're going to do that. That's fine. It's Willem Dafoe. He's got a costume. We've seen him in it. It's not him. But in the comics, uh, the Spider-Man comics, the Hobgoblin is actually a character called Ned Lee. Yes. Who is already in the Homecoming movies, always has been. This has been and, highly theorized. Right? I, I actually interviewed him, Jacob, who plays Ned, during the Far From Home stuff. And, and, you know, he said he would love to play a villain. He didn't see it for Ned, but, <laughs> but he would love to see a version where it could happen. I think that there's a whole version of this movie where Hobgoblin is in it, played by Ned. I don't believe that Ned... From our universe, right. would ever turn against Peter. same. I think that there that if we're doing multiverse stuff, there could be a version where evil um, Ned, evil Ned. Ned didn't know Peter. Ned in that universe was somehow harmed by Spider Man, and at some point, and then you would get that thing—the one thing that this movie doesn't have—that specifically the Tobey Maguire stuff really does, which is the Peter's best friend yes. and the struggle of that being, they have. Right. right. The, the the Harry Osborn thing, you know, right. they, they love each other, but there's a battle. Ned and Peter just have a pure loving friendship, and I love it. Also, this would erase, if they did an evil Ned or Ned died, it would erase one of the biggest issues for the MCU, which is most of Tom Holland's characterization from Spider-Man, including his best friend Ned, is just taken from Mars Morales. Yeah. So if you kill Ned or you have evil Ned, then you can have a different version of Gankay if Miles ever comes. But I think I'm a big Ned as Hobgoblin. Star. I love I think it. that's such a cool theory. I
1: love the theory as well. I, I agree with you. I, there's no way that it's... Our Ned. Uh, our Ned. You know, I'll, I'll refer to it as 616, even though that's never Six, been one, yeah, yeah, yeah. 616 Ned is too much of he'd Peter's friend, too much of a nice guy. He'd, yeah, he'd rather die, but there could be an evil one.
2: How do you think they're going to bring in Sandman? Because I think that's the outlier. Like, I understand why he's in it, But it's not, I feel like, a character that, like, so many people were hoping to come back. So I want to know, is he going to want to ally himself with Peter? Because Peter let him go free? Or is this prior? And what is his personal response? Where do you think they're going to grab him? Yeah,
1: I think this is going to be prior to him letting him go. Because, Mm -hmm. or else why would he be so willing to team up with other villains, which is like, again, quite a leap. Like, I think the fact that these villains are teaming up to take down Spider-Man, you know, obviously, at least you believe that they have some kind of real significant beef Mm -hmm. for him. But I agree with you. That's the one where it's not so obvious how they bring him in. When we come back, more Spider-Man.
0: On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes
1: Welcome back for more Spider-Man talk. Let's move on to Andrew Garfield's Mark Webb's Amazing Spider-Mans 1 and 2. Andrew Garfield is Peter Parker. Emma Stone is Gwen Stacy. Uh, Sally Field is Aunt May. Martin Sheen is Uncle Ben. Maybe the best Uncle Ben. This is a great Uncle Ben. Dennis Leary. They
2: they did a serious, they were like, we're going to give Uncle Ben like a characterization. Yes. He's not just going to die. He's gonna, he's gonna have a he's gonna have a life.
1: And the and villains. Of course, the villains. Uh Reesephon's as Dr. Kirk Connors, the lizard, loved it. Uh Jamie Foxx as Max Dillon, Electro, Paul Giamatti.
0: <laughs>
1: I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that ending. I will
2: never forget it. You forget
1: <laughs> that Paul Giamatti is in approximately 45 seconds of the amazing Spider-Man 2 at the beginning of the end as uh the rhino. And then, of course, Dean DeHaan as uh the most basic harry osborn slash green goblin of yeah. all time
2: he just is green goblin that's just it
1: let's start with amazing spider-man a much cooler much younger and incongruously old peter parker learns that his disappeared parents oh that's right so
2: this is uh, the weird like they're like secretly like cool spy right. scientists
1: learns that his disappeared parents uh were uh, working on some kind of secret shit for oscorp uh and when he goes to a uh, kind of sneak in and figure out, like, what happened with my parents? Uh, he is uh, bitten by a genetically modified Oscorp spider and begins developing. Dun dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, uh, Peter visits uh, Dr. Kirk Connors, one of his uh, father's old colleagues, who is working on uh, some kind of project to heal, you know, injuries using animal DNA, specifically uh, lizard DNA. Uncle Ben dies. But this time the lesson is that Peter's father believed that you could do good things for people. You had a moral obligation to do those things. That's what's at stake here, not choice, responsibility. Peter goes to track down Ben's killer. He becomes Spider-Man. He sources uh, spandex on the internet and buys stuff to make a costume. He, He builds his web shooters. Uh, we get a big fight with Dr. Connors. After Dr. Connors injects himself with the lizard uh, regenerating serum, it becomes the lizard. Peter reveals his identity to his crush, Gwen Stacy. Uh, meanwhile, Gwen Stacy's dad is leading the hunt for Spider-Man. The lizard has a crazy plan to disperse the serum, his lizard serum from across the city uh, from the top <laughs> of the Sounds really Oscar bad Dar. when you say it. Yeah, like a that. Bit, but like it <laughs> doesn't really, it's kind of like really that's the plan? Okay. Captain yeah. Stacy dies. Shocking. And tells Peter to avoid Gwen, which he does at first, but then he can't stop, of course, and then we get the mid credit scene. Dr. Connors speaking with Gustav Fears, the gentleman who is the villain from the novelization of Spider-Man. Absolutely from wild. Decades ago, uh, who in the novelization plays a key role in assembling the Sinister Six. Weird choice. Uh, and then Connors tells the gentleman, uh, hey, leave... Peter Parker alone. Okay, so how do we get the lizard into this movie? And are we going to see anyone? And, you know, obviously, the we get Andrew Garfield from this movie, but I wonder, do we get Andrew Garfield Spider-Man from Amazing Spider-Man or do we get him from The Amazing Spider-Man 2? Where do we get him in this?
2: Yeah, the whole thing is weird. So first of all, remember that very prime moment that, that Stephen Strange says, you know, they all died in their universe yeah. by the hand of their universe yeah. Spider-Man. We know that's not the case here, or at right. least not what we saw. Right. So that's really interesting. Um, I still think that Peter could have killed him at a later date. So I still think it's probably the same guy. I think you're right about variants. You know, the weirdest thing about this to me, right? Yeah. Is like, I think it has to be Andrew Garfield from Amazing Spider-Man 2. Because I think it has to be post, about- Post the death of- Post the death of Gwen okay. Stacy. Because it has to be about redemption. Yeah. You know, the moment where we see MJ falling, like um our, like six on six MJ- uh, Zendaya yeah. falling off the bridge yeah. with her hand up, you know that feels like a moment where Andrew Garfield would be like, "I'm not going to let it happen, I'm not again, let it you know? happen and again." He yeah. he grabs. I feel like that is it. I I also just feel like these movies are not remembered like that fondly. I mean, there are there is a generation of kids who this is their Spider Man, so so there is a there's a nostalgia there, but I don't necessarily think if Dane DeHaan, for example, you know, th- I, yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 in, I'm intrigued by I, the whole thing. I'll say this about
1: I'll say this about Mark Webb's Amazing Spider-Man saw in the theater as I've seen these all in yeah, the theater. Yeah, me too. Obviously, it has villain problems. Okay, and I think mm-hmm. the choice to include the uh, parents, the Peter Parker parents, kind of mystery backstory, which has been, listen, it's established in the comics that they were Shield agents. They get killed by one of the Red Skulls, not the main Red Skull. They get killed but it's never it doesn't really play a role like in any spider-man like it's out there that that happened but it's not something that is present and or relevant in basically any spider-man story that you will ever read yeah. in up to now but this is a, amazing spider-man a great action i love the, when the fight yes. in the school goes to the library and i will go out here's a hot take that's the best stanley cameo in
2: oh, any I think comics mcu whatever that's yeah, the best. Family it's can. so well done. I love it. It's so brilliant. Okay, so I think that if we're gonna get anything from number one, okay. I think the coolest thing that you could get would be if this is just this is not gonna happen, guys. But I'm just putting it out there. If it was actually like if you got like a Spider Gwen or as they're calling her now, Ghost Spider, if we saw um, this Gwen Stacy in that guise in this space, that we've would already be rad. Been introduced. You know, I think that was something that people were excited about was like, maybe it's not Andrew who saves MJ. Maybe it's like Spider Gwen who swings in because there's this kind of Kang-esque purple skies where it looks like many, many universes are falling in. So I think if we, I think we could see a version of Gwen... Almost like they did with Gamora uh, in Endgame, where it's like, yeah, somebody died, one Gamora died, but now there's this other Gamora. And I think we could get a, a tease of that. And I think that would I love be that. something cool I, from the first movie.
1: I agree with you. Listen, it's only a matter of time before we get Ghost Spider slash Spider Man, right? Yeah. Like it, that will happen. Uh, we will see her at some point And maybe it's now. That would be super cool. Okay, Amazing Spider Man 2. Also from the director, Mark Webb, Peter is, you know, he's leveled up in his crime fighting. He's still, uh, you know, against Gwen's late father's wishes, <laughs> attempting to uh, stay in Gwen's life and date her. Harry Osborn becomes the CEO of Oscorp. This is Dean Dahan. He discovers that Spider-Man's blood could cure uh, the same illnesses that uh, that killed his father. Um, But guess what? Peter and Spider-Man are like, I'm not going to help you with this. Oscorp electrical engineer, the bumbling Max Dillon, is shocked and falls into a vat of electric eels and he turns into electro. The OSHA violations at Oscorp are insane. It's like,
2: care about the safety of your employees. Can we do that, please? This also sounds like a Spider-Man three level kind of goofiness, but the the most jarring juxtaposition in this movie is how absolutely tragic and distressing jamie fox plays yeah, max really, dylan he's and broken, his betrayal he
1: is he is he's a broken person who needs who wants love and attention and, and, and yeah. wants to help
2: people yes. and then like he gets turned into a superhero by a modified electric eels like there is a tonal <laughs> shift here and then yeah and 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 then when you know, he finally faces down Spider-Man. He wants to be like him and and Spider-Man rejects that. That is just like really heartbreaking. I think, I don't love, I love Electro as a character in the comics and and I don't love the version they did, but I do think Jamie Foxx and and Mark Webb brought this like tragic aspect to him that's really, really powerful.
1: There is like an interesting, like almost, I don't want to say stalker, but like rejected fan, Mm -hmm. a rejected fan element to this Electro that I agree with you. I don't love... I don't love it in the broader context of the Spider-Man universe, but I think it's a really interesting idea. And well done, like yeah.
2: it, it is effective. It makes you feel for him. I, I, really, this is probably my least watch rewatch Spider-Man because I find it really uncomfortable. Like it's, 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 it's really uncomfortable to watch purposefully. It's
1: an uncomfortable <laughs> movie. Uh, Dylan now Electro has a big fight with Spider-Man, and then he is captured. Uh, but Harry Osborn sees an opportunity here. He breaks Electro out uh, because he needs his help in. Uh, getting into Oscorp Harry uh, gets some advanced armor uh, and Venom all left by Norman Osborn uh, and in the process becomes the uh, supervillain Green Goblin Peter and Gwen Uh, get back together. They agree to go to England together uh, because Gwen is going there because she's going to Oxford. She is such a smarty. Electro causes another blackout that causes a plane crash. Peter and Gwen go off to fight him. Uh, They ultimately overload Electro's body and explode him. Horrible. Now, stop here. It appears that Electro dies here, but Electro has died, quote unquote, died or been defeated just in this way, numerous times in Marvel mm-hmm. comics, and he, his body just goes into like the electrical grid. Like he's yeah, still around.
2: He's, he's it can even it can even cause him to have more power. Right. Exactly. Because the elect, you know, that's how. So, so do you think is this post? So post this, does he survive? Yes. I and think at yes. At some point, begets some kind of Stark technology, which actually brings me to another theory that I think is really, really interesting okay. uh, that that Nick mentioned to me, which, which I'll talk to you about in a minute when we finish. The, okay. Okay. The thing. So, uh, Harry, uh,
1: shows up as the green goblin. Uh, one of the weirdest don't love this green goblin. I'll just say that No. He kidnaps Gwen. Oh my God. Wait, what? This is a new idea. Kidnaps Gwen, takes her to the top of the clock tower. We get the big fight where Peter is simultaneously trying to defeat Harry, but also trying to make him stop doing this, but also trying to save Gwen's life. Gwen falls. Peter uh, shoots the webbing at her, catches her, but the, the shock of the fall and the sudden deceleration kills her. And he is obviously heartbroken. At this. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's heartbroken at this. Uh later, Gustav Freers, the gentleman visits Harry uh-huh. Osborne who is being Important. held at Ravencroft and how does he get in there? How does this I don't know, the security at Ravencroft obviously questionable. And he's like, "Hey, let's do a team. How many people do you think?" And Harry Osborne's like, "Well, Obviously eight would be too many, but four would be too few. I don't know, a small how about six? And then, outrageous. and then we see we get this sequel bait scene in which we see uh the new Rhino exosuit that is soon gonna go to Paul I'm Giamatti. Him. We see the vulture's wings, yada yada yada. Pete uh later at the end of the movie fights. Or goes to fight the Rhino now in his new exosuit, and then we actually never see how that uh, fight ends.
2: So Okay, so to bridge this from where from where we are now, Amazing Spider-Man, to where we're about to go, MCU Spider-Man beginners, Spider-Man Homecoming. Electro has Stark Tech. Yeah. Right. So if we're thinking about somebody who could arrange the situation, and as we move into armor wars, which is gonna which is like such a brilliant arc and yes. and, and is very much Great concerned with the idea of villains having stark tech and or somebody bad having stark tech and iron man or in this case Rody is gonna have to get it back right so who has stark tech in homecoming and is misusing it and and well not stark tech he has Ch- chitauri tech. Uh, peter parker, <laughs> peter, know. Peter parker. Yeah, 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 yeah. but <laughs> in every spider-man yeah, yeah. movie but um so something i think could be really interesting is like what if the vulture has found a way mm. to use the Chitauri tech to open these portals to bring in these heroes, and he is arming them with Stark tech. You I know, love that. we know Stark tech's just throwing around in the universe. Uh, Mysterio has it. A child known as Peter Parker has world-ending missiles so he can shoot out of cool glasses. Like this stuff is not heavily protected. So I think that there is a, a version of this where Vulture is kind of an orchestrator, um, played by the wonderful Michael Keaton. Yeah. And that kind of link to this Chitari tech, this alien tech, this Stark tech, and this kind of black market of heroes suddenly having it, that seems very like prescient to me.
1: I I, I really like that. I think Michael Keaton as Adrian Toomes was mm-hmm. so good. He was just The like- reveal
2: as well that he was Liz's uh, dad, that's like one of the best like reveals in the MCU. So- I think with the fact that he's in Morbius, which was actually meant to come out before this movie, I think there's a lot of connective tissue there.
1: I agree with you.
2: Okay, so now let's
1: talk about the MCU Spider-Man movies, just about the villains. A vulture, we're going to see. What about uh, Aaron Davis, played by Donald Glover? Again, one of these, like, you don't just cast Donald Ah! Glover to be in 15 seconds of a Marvel movie. Do we see him as the Prowler, or do we think that's setting up an eventual Miles Morales uh, introduction and adventure on his own?
2: Yeah, I think he's definitely setting up Miles. I mean, he even says, you know, he mentions his nephew in that. I don't know if if he'll be the Prowler yet, but he could be because... um, Kind of one of the things that I think really spoke to people about the way that they introduced Miles in into the Spider Verse was that dueling nature of Aaron being his uncle and Aaron already yeah. being the Prowler. So with Henchies, you know, I I would like to see like you know Bucky Woodbine, Shocker. I thought that was like really that was cool. Yeah, Could be that was fun. more. Also, a good um, a good potential like Electro competitor or like, there's like a, there's like a combined, you know, of course they both have electric powers because every black superhero or villain has electric powers in comics. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I think the big question is, do we get miles or a hint of miles in this movie? And then that answers whether we get Aaron.
1: I think we get a hint of miles. I think Sony is eager to do that. I don't think we're going to see too many characters or any characters outside of like the kind of Sony Spider-Verse, right? Mm -hmm. For very particular corporate IP sharing reasons. But I I agree with you. I I think that there is going to be a Miles hint or some kind of quick uh, introduction of Miles. Okay, now Matt Gargan was introduced in the MCU Spider-Man Do we see Mac Gargan as the scorpion in this movie or what do you think? Is that going to be a later on as part of like Adrian Toome's like Vulture tech?
2: He might be like a henchy. If Vulture just like gets out and he's got his little chop shop running again. Like I could see Mac being there because they met in prison. But I really think like the MCU has done and Sony in these kind of dueling movies, they've done a really good job of creating these very memorable characters. So if you think about people who are going to be excited, like people, you want to see Mysterio after he said that wild, wild stuff at the end of Far From Home or whatever, you know? So I feel like there's the ones that would be the big gets and the ones that are more likely. And I think Mac is quite likely, but it would be a smaller scale. I don't think he's going to be a main Sinister Six, even though he's the Scorpion.
1: And then uh, Mysterio dead? officially dead or do we see another mister i don't think that they bring a variant mysterio from another no. dimension
2: but that would be funny because he made up the he made up the 616 thing and yeah. it became true right. so it, it, if they did it it would be funny but i think you're right could it be quentin beck from the past
1: yeah that's a question you know was he plucked just before he died right and is he dead dead like was the end of far from home just like a like an elaborate quentin beck yeah. uh, illusion once Ruse. again yeah uh, big questions. Now, a couple of, uh, you know, just kind of like housekeeping prompts and questions regarding this. The MCU is, is set to introduce Peter's actual backstory up to getting bit by the spider. And up, you know, after that, his life with Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben getting killed, and then all of that that leads up to his introduction in Civil War. How much of Peter Parker's parents do you think are going to be in any of this, or are part of the MCU Spider-Verse going forward?
2: I think the closest thing that we will get is Uncle Ben. I think that they've probably wanted to do it for a long time, and I think the difference will be if they do it, I think they'll do it from the perspective of Aunt May. I think that that would be the way to do it a bit differently. I don't know about his parents. I feel like there's so much more to do right now. And in my opinion, this kind of swirling rumors from what Amy Pascal said about three more Spider-Man movies that they're working on with Tom Holland that MCU denied, like that Marvel Studios wouldn't confirm, that to me doesn't say we're getting three more Tom Holland right. as Peter Parker movies. That says to me that there's three Spider-Man movies that might happen, that Sony and Marvel might make together, that Tom Holland is somehow involved with. So I don't know if there's going to be time for that. But in a multiversal sense, as we go into No Way Home, I do feel like we're going to get some Uncle Ben-ish business. Could it be the Uncle Ben's from the past?
1: Here's my take. Listen, I I loved Hot Aunt May. Yes. Marissa Tomei's Hot Aunt May is just, it's a great shift and a great change. And of course, Marissa Tomei is one of our great actresses. Hot Uncle Ben. Here's my casting. Ready? Bobby Cannavale. Oh my God. You're blowing my mind. Bobby Cannavale, Hot Uncle Ben. Make it wow! Make
2: it so, Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige. Let's go. That is it. Especially because tell me you can't imagine Bobby Cannavale getting in between a fight because it's the right thing to <laughs> Absolutely. do. Absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred and fifty percent into that fight and be like, no, this is wrong. Yes. and then you know he can die, and 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 that's sad. Yeah, I'll be very interested. I am a fan. I'm a, I was very impressed by them avoiding. Redoing the Uncle Ben thing, Me too. I think in in the third movie, I think if you want to touch on it, you can. I think you you know maybe they'll do the more you know the big my big funny nerd quote that I the, my fact is you know like Uncle Ben never actually says in the comics with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, until like <laughs> that that doesn't happen until like Spider Man versus Wolverine years later in Amazing Fantasy fifteen, yeah. it's like the last panel and Spider Man walks away and the caption is like describing him and then is like, he's aware at last that in this world with great power, yes, there, there must also come great responsibility. So maybe the MCU is very comic savvy and, and very bothered about the comics in a way that some of the other adaptations weren't. So maybe when they do it, it could be more like a conversation between Aunt May and Peter kind of reminiscing about the kind of man Ben was. Yeah, but- I feel like there's going to be some Ben here. Now, is there going to be multiversal Ben? where he has to see like all these different Uncle Bens being killed. I would would think it was hilarious, but yeah, it's probably not going to (laughs) happen.
1: Okay. In No Way Home, who else do we see? Do we see, do we have any hints of X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Matt Murdock? What do you think?
2: Okay. I am a believer. One, I think the Kingpin situation and the introduction of Echo specifically and the way that it is being teased in Hawkeye in the lead up to this movie with the potential of Kingpin even appearing properly, not just the touching Echo's face in in episode three. I think Matt Murdock is a very safe bet. Mm -hmm. I actually don't think it's that outrageous. I think there's a reason that Kevin Feige turned around and said, hey, if Daredevil's in the MCU, it's going to be Charlie Cox. You know, he randomly gave that quote and he just confirmed that. So I think that means that's likely. I personally do believe that a really easy way not necessarily the best way but an easy way to blow up the multiverse that in the way that they want to do is to introduce a lot of cameos at the end of this movie how effective or not that is going to be right. is questionable but like in this we see steven and we see peter and and there's this kang purple you know purple kind of cracks in the sky that look like Kang's multiversal kind of stuff and steven says oh you know they're pushing through they're coming through and and i can't stop them and we know that that is after the villains have been there because he's already had to explain to peter what is going on so if peter was there when the villains were coming through he wouldn't have had to explain to peter where those original villains were coming from so i think that the i think that the that the end of the movie will be some kind of multiversal collapse where you could very likely get your previous characters uh you know Patrick Stewart as Xavier. These kind of people. But just momentary cameos of these different universes colliding, maybe even just images and, mm. and reused stuff from other movies. And then it sets up a sort of Infinity War endgame where Multiverse of Madness is about cleaning up right. those Clean multiverses. Up, pairing and then off. you get to, and 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 you know, you can have some fun. You have uh, Chris Evans as Johnny Storm momentarily. Yeah. Whatever. And, you, and then you really get into it in Multiverse of Madness with the true... More than cameos. They're not just momentary seconds. But I actually, kind of looking at the movie as it is and looking at what the trailers have released, I think that there is a big chance that that is going to be... Also, I, I'm pretty sure that for the junket, they didn't show the whole movie. They just showed uh, an the opening kind of certain amount of minutes. So I think that there's something there to there being a lot more characters than we think.
1: I'll say this specifically about Daredevil. My take is that Daredevil already exists, quote-unquote, in this kind of uh, 616 universe, they're not gonna bring him in through uh interdimensional uh uh-uh. magic because like then his law degree wouldn't work. He's gotta be able to practice <laughs> law here in the 616 and it's and if he has like an Earth 29 law degree, it's just not gonna it's not gonna translate. This was so fun. Yeah. I can't wait for this movie. I can't wait to go see it. We're uh very excited to potentially go see this movie early at a screening. Hope that happens. Yes. Rosie. I can't wait. This was delightful. Up next, end game. We're in the end game now, folks. And today we're playing another round of assembly required in which Rosie and I will pick a character or item from the Spider-Verse for a randomly assigned mission. What is the mission today, Christopher? All right. So you're going to pick someone from any of the Spider-Man movies we've been talking about today, and you're going to bring them as a date to a family wedding weekend. It's like a whole weekend, (laughs) rehearsal dinner, formal ceremony, reception, Mm. plus morning brunch after the wedding. Okay. I'm ready. Uh, Rosie, would you like to go first? No, you go first. You go first. You're ready. Okay. I, I I was thinking about I've always been a big fan of Kirsten Dunce, Mary Jane, but I don't want to risk the wedding getting blown up because some <laughs> supervillain comes in and and kidnaps her in order to force Peter to do something. Uh, similar problems, obviously, with Gwen Stacy. Aunt May, I know that, like, I don't know where things are going with happy right now. Uh, I don't know how, <laughs> you know, what, what the status of that is. But is. I'm just saying if you would like to go to a wedding as friends or whatever, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what develops. <laughs> but uh, that would be delightful. I think he'd be a a charming uh, guest to have at the wedding. I, I I would be I would be delighted if you'd be my date to this wedding. That's all. <laughs> Very good choice. And hope and listen. You know, uh, R.I.P. to uh, hot Uncle Ben Bobby Cannavale. I
2: know. <laughs> I'm like I'm sad. Hot Uncle Ben isn't canon because like I, I don't I wanted this wedding. I wanted. To. I would go with Bobby Cannavale yeah, to this I wedding. Should. This is very tough because, like, my first thought is, like, Ned, that's, like, a sweet kid, but also, like, he's a child. So yeah. I literally physically cannot do that. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with... Oh, man. You know what? I'm just going to go with Donald Glover as Miles's uncle. Oh, nice. We don't know he has a really bad criminal right. element. Yeah, he's just just a little bit of a criminal, just doing a little bit of criminal stuff. He's funny. He has a cool nephew, like, why not, Rosie? You can fix him. I can fix him exactly. <laughs> you know, was, I'd be like, "Come on, man, you don't need to do it. Like, you don't, you don't need to work for the vulture. He's not good. for you, you should work for the kingpin. I would make it worse, yeah. actually. I, we'd be at the dinner, and I'd be like, Yeah, have you Maya Lopez? She's really cool. Have you thought about working for her? You get a tracksuit, you know? Like, I'm trying to trying to cross those streams,
1: <laughs> folks. That is it for the end game. Let us know who you think won, and use hashtag XRV Endgame to give us your pick." Okay, what a fun episode today. Big thanks uh, to Rosie, to yourself, for joining us on x Vision. Rosie, where can people find your genius writings and podcast appearances
2: across the internet? Where can they find them? I'm Rosie Marks on Instagram, which is mostly where I talk about this podcast. Uh, I write a lot if you want more theories. Nerdist is yes. a place for that. So many theories there. So I many. I also, just like a lot, um, Polygon, you can find me there. Like yes. I reviewed Hawkeye for Polygon. Uh IGN if you want some film reviews, that kind of biz. Occasionally big deep explainers go up there too. And yeah, and also uh that's it. And I just the other thing I wanted to say, which was something I know me and Jason both feel the same about, like uh George Perez, who's like such yes. a big icon Whoa. in comics. Thank you for mentioning this. Yeah, he recently shared that uh, you know, he, he's got cancer and he said, you know, he thinks he has about six months to live, but he just really felt so grateful for how much he'd impacted people's lives and he wanted people to share their stories. So I just I just want to say thank you to him for the work that he's done. And like, he just changed so much of comics to make yeah. it a lighter, brighter, more beautiful place. If you want to go out and read something, read George Perez's Wonder Woman, you know, new Teen Titans. There's new so Teen much Titans brilliant stuff. Iconic. Yeah. And I just wanted to just give him a shout out and say like, thank you for all his work. Yeah. He's just a wonderful person. Just
1: defined the look of his era. And, mm-hmm. and no safer and more exciting hands to put a Crisis on Infinite Earths or, mm-hmm. or Infinity Gauntlet stuff to put like literally the biggest, wildest, most infinitely crazy story. Put it in the hands of George Perez and you're going to get something that is just magnificent to look at and behold. Yeah. Uh, wishing him the best.
2: Yeah, just wishing him the best. Totally.
1: Big thank you to uh, everyone for listening. If you want to learn more about what we explore in each episode, check out our listener's guide to all things X-Ray Vision in the show notes or on our website. Catch us uh, next time on Friday, December 17th, when we cover Spider-Man No Way Home on the day it comes out. As we said last week, we've got an email address now, crooked.com. Send us your nerdy questions, any comments you have questions for an upcoming mailbag episode and if you enjoyed our nerd out segment on star trek and want to share your favorite nerd on the show drop us an email with your short pitch on on what you like to pitch us again email is xray at crooked.com that's x-r-a-w excuse me that's x-r-a-y at crooked.com and please give us the five star ratings wherever you happen to rate your podcasts four stars no three stars definitely not two stars are you crazy one star I guess you hate us. Five stars only. With great content comes a great responsibility to deliver five stars.
2: X raw. That's like our. Uh, that's like our Marvel Knights.
1: Yeah, X-, X-, X raw.
2: <laughs> X raw vision. See you next time.
1: X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by me, Jason Concepcion, and Sandy Gerard. Caroline Reston and Carlton Gillespie are our consulting producers. And our editing and sound design is by Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Big thanks to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. Ben, where you been? I was out out and Peter ran by me. What's going on? This kids acting crazy lately. He's acting absolutely nuts. May, you're looking good.